0: today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Who am I as the clay to say to the
1: potter, why are you making me this way? Why are you shaping me this way? Why are you doing it this way? It's as ludicrous as the gold saying to the goldsmith, why are you doing this this way? I'm just the clay. He's the potter. Would to God that we would simply surrender in the hands of the potter, in the hands of the goldsmith.
0: You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor JD Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor JD is currently teaching through the book of Second Corinthians. When we're in the midst of a trial, we beg for God to deliver us from it. We think we know what's best for us and question God's plan and what we're experiencing. However, Pastor J.D. uses the illustration of the potter and the goldsmith to remind us that while we may not like our current situation, God ultimately knows what we need and what is best for us. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in 2 Corinthians with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: Do you feel like that everything is against you? I think of Jacob who, unbeknownst to him, concerning his son whom he loved so much, Joseph, unbeknownst to him, he's about to see Joseph again. He thought Joseph was dead. And he makes this statement and it is so apropos (laughs) for those who are in such a painful and difficult trial he says everything is against me first is Joseph now it's Benjamin everything is against me oh Jacob just wait you'll see God is working this together for the good this is the purpose this is for your good and God's glory everything might seem to be against you all of the circumstances that are you're experiencing in your life may seem to contradict the goodness of God, but you'll see. I think of what David wrote in Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. He says, I'm still confident of this. What are you confident of, David? Oh, that I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's this side of heaven. It brings us little comfort when we're in the midst of a trial, to know that heaven awaits and all of the glory and all of the suffering of this life is not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits. But when you tell me that I'll see the goodness of the Lord this side of heaven, well, that's encouraging to me. That gives me hope. And David says this, it's almost like he's having a talk with himself. That's different than self-talk, by the way. This is what I love about the Psalms. You see David in there, first of all, it's the self-talk. Oh, my soul, you know, he's in such despair. And the and the psalm starts off with, I mean, it's so depressing. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is bad. I think about Psalm 6, where David cries out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, how long? He's so overwhelmed. He's being crushed under the weight of the trials that he's in by the time you get to the end of the psalm, instead of self-talk, stinking thinking, as one called it, <laughs> he has a talk with himself. It's almost as if he says, sit down, boy. I to talk to you, boy. He's talking to himself. Oh, my soul, why be so discouraged? Why be in such dismay? You again will have reason to praise the Lord. You'll see. Take heart. Wait upon the Lord. Be strong. Be of good courage. You'll see. You'll see the goodness of the Lord. You can be confident in it. God is going to work this together for the good. You'll see. Just wait. You'll see. And here's why. Yeah, it might seem that everything is against us. But like Jacob, you'll see. Verse 32, Paul goes on and says, and this is important. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? James says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. God has good for you, even in this, as bad as it is. One of the things the Lord has ministered to me over the years is, that no matter how bad it is, it cannot change how good God always is. And if you think about this verse 32, when Paul tells them that if God is not going to spare his own son, doesn't that mean that there's nothing he won't spare? I mean, if he's going to give you his only begotten son to die for you, is there anything outside the scope of what God will do? I mean, we... It's interesting in our innate within us, in our sin nature, we say that we trust God for our salvation. But yet we can't trust God for next month's rent. God did not spare his own son. Why would he not give you that too? If it's good, God's going to give it to you. The problem is, is that we want God to give it to us now, today, not later, because that means we have to wait, and don't we hate to wait? Well, that's what David said. Wait, you need to wait on the Lord. I think about what Isaiah says. That I think it's chapter thirty, verse eighteen. He says, "The Lord will wait." don't want the Lord to wait. The Lord will wait. Why? So that he can be gracious unto you. Sometimes God will allow you to go through a trial and it just seems like, oh Lord, how long? Just wait. Just wait. If, if I were to do it now, I would rob you of that which I have for you if you will but wait, you'll say. You'll say, been said that God's delays are not God's denials. And when God delays, he does so because he has something better. Here's the bottom line. God's purpose in our trials is to conform us into the image of Christ. And the way he does it is by way of affliction and trials. Oh, how I wish there were another way. I wish I could take a pill that would make me more like Christ. (laughs) Of course, then it would have side effects, I'm sure, and like on TV, and they play that, they have to play that melodic and almost hypnotic music in the background as they're telling you and rattling off very fast, have you noticed? All of the side effects? Because they don't want you to really hear, they want you to listen to the music. Ah. You know, but meanwhile, they're telling you that the side effects are internal bleeding, uh, death in some cases, uh, you know, heart attack, stroke. You know, I'm thinking, wow, really? <laughs> and I want to take this for my headache? Are you kidding me? I think I'll stick with the headache. But anyway, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. This is the way that God does it. And here's why. The fiery affliction that comes vis-a-vis the testing of our faith is more precious than gold that perishes. This is what the Apostle Peter wrote in his first epistle, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, kind of echoes what James says about considering a pure joy when you encounter various trials. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice. I want to come back to that. Hang on to that. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? In other words, our faith is more precious than gold. And you know what a goldsmith does, right? The goldsmith subjects that gold to intense heat and fire. Why? To burn, to bring to the surface all of the impurities. So that when the impurities come to the top, the goldsmith scrapes it off the top, and the goldsmith knows that he has pure gold when he can see his image In that gold, can you connect those dots? That's why God subjects us to those fiery trials. He's getting all of the impurities out of our life. He's conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. He's scraping off of the top the the impurities that he might see his image in us, his likeness in us the problem is is that we fight it we fight it isaiah 48:10 says behold i have refined you but not as silver i have tested you in the furnace of affliction would you agree that we're prone oftentimes to do everything we can to avoid pain and suffering I mean, who amongst us actually considers it pure joy? Who amongst us rejoices, as Peter says, when though for a season we encounter these, these trials? You have to understand that joy is different than happiness. Happiness comes from the word happenstance. It's based on circumstance. In other words, if things are going well in my life, I can be happy. But when things are not going well in my life, then I'm not happy. That's different than joy. Joy is not predicated upon the circumstances in my life. Does that mean that it is actually possible to have joy in the midst of the trial? Absolutely. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) Think about this. So... If I don't have joy in the midst of the trial and the only time I'm ever rejoicing, the only time I'm happy is when things are going well, then can I ask you, how often are you going to be happy? If the only time I experience joy, the only time I'm rejoicing and praising God is when things are going well, I'm a pretty unhappy person most of the time. Because most of the time, I'm going through difficulty. I'm battling the flesh, the world, the devil. I mean, the list is pretty endless, isn't it? All the things that we experience in this fallen world. The affliction. And so, if the only time I ever have joy is when things are going good, then I'm never going to really have any joy. And if I do, it's not going to be a lasting joy. So let's let's think about this. Let, let's just say for purpose of discussion that, that I can actually have this joy that Peter talks about, that James talks about, no matter what's going on in my life, as difficult as it is. I'm actually rejoicing. I'm considering it pure joy. How is that possible? Well, first, we have to stop fighting it. We have to, as the gold, stop fighting the goldsmith. We have to, as the clay, stop fighting the potter. This is Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Have you seen how potters make pottery? It's really quite painful when you understand it in the context of this analogy. They take the clay first right and they, they start beating it that hurts bad that part hurts bad and that's just the beginning so now they're going to start making this vessel and then they take their hand and they stick it inside and they start pulling all the gook out that hurts too then they take that clay which by the way you're the clay I'm the clay we're but dust made from the dust of the ground clay is dirt and in the hands of the potter he takes that clay and he begins the process and then once he's taken all of the stuff out of the middle of it then he places it on the potter's wheel have you seen how fast those potter's wheels spin around have you ever felt like that you've been on the potter's wheel oh god what are you doing what are you doing everything's just crazy and to make matters worse, the, the potter takes his hand and he just jabs it into the side of the vessel while it's on the wheel spinning around. Ouch. That really hurts. What are you doing? I'm, I'm shaping you. I'm shaping you. I'm conforming you. And then you finally the wheel starts to slow down. And it comes to a stop. Oh oh, oh, okay, Lord, okay, Lord. Just wait. (laughs) The potter takes the vessel off the potter's wheel. And what does he do with it? He sticks it into the furnace, appropriately named the kiln. You're killing me, God. You're killing me. And he turns that heat up. God, what are you doing? Oh, you'll see. You'll see. You'll see. This is so hard. I don't like it in this furnace. What are you doing? And then he takes the vessel out of the furnace and he finishes that which he's faithful to complete, that work that he begun in us. And then when he's all done, he puts his name, his name on his workmanship. It's interesting in the New Testament, that word for workmanship is poema, where we get the word poem. The author signing his name to it. He has completed it. This is the work. This is my workmanship. Faithful is he who began that work. To complete it, he puts his name. By the way, um, ah, the Aaronic blessing in Numbers chapter 6, where God commands Moses to have Aaron pronounce this blessing on his people every time they would meet at the tent of meeting, and he goes through this six blessings. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace and lift up his countenance to you. But then after all of that, he says, my name will be on them. My name. Oh, and by the way, uh, God says, I will put my name on Jerusalem, my name of ownership, literally by way of the sheen the abbreviation for El Shaddai, the name of God. He put his name there. When I was growing up, unfortunately in Arabic, my mom used synonymously the Allah as synonymous with the title of God. So she would always pronounce the name of God on me. And she would say, Ism, name, Allah, God, Alek, on you. So I changed it, Ism, Yeshua." The name of Jesus is upon you. What do we know to be true about the name? The name is the nature. The nature of Jesus be upon you. The Christ likeness be apparent in you. And who am I as the clay to say to the potter, Why are you making me this way? Why are you shaping me this way? Why are you doing it this way? It's as ludicrous as the gold saying to the goldsmith, why are you doing this this way? I'm just the clay. He's the potter. Would to God that we would simply surrender in the hands of the potter, in the hands of the goldsmith, And allow God to do with us according to his good pleasure. I love what Jeremiah says, and it seemed good to the potter to make. The the potter was pleased to do it this way. It reminds me of that hymn of old, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. When I was 10 years old, I... I took piano lessons. My mom made me actually take piano lessons. And she made me learn to play hymn number 272, by the way. I have my childhood hymn. You'll forgive me if I wax a little bit sentimental here. But uh, I took a picture of it. It's hymn number 272. And the hymn is, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. 45 years later, that hymn has become one of my favorite all-time hymns. And I hope you'll indulge me in closing as I share with you this cherished hymn of old as well as the story behind it. It was actually the aforementioned Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18 that set the scene for this hymn that was written by Adelaide A. Pollard in 1902. She was inspired by a simple prayer of an elderly woman at a prayer meeting. And the prayer was this. It really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your way with our lives. Wow. Have Thine Own Way, Lord, was composed during a time when Miss Pollard was trying to raise funds to take a mission trip to Africa. Her unsuccessful attempt to do this left her experiencing a, quote, distress of soul. It's been also called an anguish of the night, that distress of soul. This crisis of the soul in the simple prayer of an elderly lady provided a setting for personal reflection on the will of God for her life. After the prayer meeting, she returned home and wrote the hymn as we sing it today. And I want, I won't sing it. I won't do that to you. <laughs> Talk about a trial. <laughs> that would be cruel. I'm just going to read the words to this magnificent hymn. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, waiting, <laughs> yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. As in thy presence, humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power. Surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold o'er my being, absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see
0: Christ only always living in me. Thanks for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. We hope Pastor J.D. Farag's message from the book of 2 Corinthians has blessed you and that you continue to seek God's hand in your life. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor J.D., simply visit our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click on Listen at the top of the page. You'll also find a link to subscribe to our podcast, or you can download messages to share with your family and friends. Did you know you can also take In Spirit and Truth with you wherever you go? It's true. Using your Apple or Android smartphone, download our mobile app and have biblically sound messages available right at your fingertips. Links to the app are right on our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. We'd also like to encourage you to find and join a local church community if you haven't already. Having a group of believers to support you and learn from God with you is a great encouragement. You too will have the chance to bless others with your own unique gifts and talents. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we would joyfully welcome you into our fellowship here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. Our weekly services focus on studying God's word and worshiping our creator. Service times and directions can be found by going to inspiritandtruthradio.com and clicking on Calvary Chapel Kanohe at the bottom of the page. That's all we have for you today here on In Spirit and Truth. Be sure to join us again as Pastor JD digs deeper into the book of Second Corinthians.
2: True.